Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Good morning, everybody. My name's Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. Thanks for joining us. Um, appreciate that very much. And uh, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be back in the book of Acts. And so I want to invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to go borrow one off the sides of the tech booth back there. Or if you don't have a Bible that uh, you can read and understand, just take one of those with you. It's our gift to you. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can um, open that up and find our live event. We have scriptures and sermon notes and other important information there. Feel free to just track along uh, with all of that. Uh, we're going to pray and then uh, ask for God's help. And kiddos, if you haven't already gotten a kid's bulletin, you can come on up and do that. But I'm going to pray right now, okay? Um, so, Father, we, your gathered people, are here grateful that we are um, living under the banner of Jesus um, under his rule and under his authority, but also, Father, deeply loved by you. And so no matter where we're coming from today, no matter the stuff we're dragging in behind us, um, baggage, events, whatever, just there, no matter the stuff that's weighing us down, we, we can sit here and know that we are deeply loved. And so I pray um, that out of your great love for us, you would come and um, even answer some of the prayers that we've already prayed, that we've already sung. You would speak, O oh Lord, so that we can be transformed and live for your glory. We don't want to give our lives to some small, pathetic story. We want to live in the grand story that you're telling here on the earth. And so uh, help us to do that. Make us different so that we can. We put that now in your hands and pray for the Spirit to come and do whatever you need to do in order for us to hear what you have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen and amen. Okay, so I've been thinking a lot, listening to um, some stuff, and thinking a lot lately about stories. And uh, the text we're going to pick up actually has three different separate stories um, kind of along the way here. And um, if you have sat with me at lunch, or, or you, you probably do this too, uh, that if you have a point to make, like you want to make a point, sometimes you'll give some background or a story in order to make the point. Anybody with me on this? Just raise your hand, because you know you're with me on this. Every dad in here has done that, I know. Sit down, son, let me tell you a story, right? Uh, and then the, the problem is not that as much as when you repeat the same story, to the same person, right? Oh, I've heard this one before, you know, that kind of thing. Well, today, um, uh, I think there, there's a point in each of these three stories that we're going to encounter. It's actually about three different cities, three different settings. Uh, and I think there's a, a kind of a thing that we'll take out of it. And the, the three things are very, very different from one another. They're not disconnected, but they're different from one another. And so the prayer is that God would use one of these three stories, or maybe all of them, to speak to what we encounter this week. So here in Acts chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 35, but just to catch us back up very quickly, because it's been a, a little bit since we've been uh, in the book of Acts. Um, Acts, uh, we're in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey. He's gone out, he's come back, and now he's going out again. He's preaching through Asia Minor, and then now is in um, uh, what is modern day Greece. He was in modern day Turkey, and now he's in modern day Greece. 
And uh, uh, he has preached in Philippi. Um, they saw a little girl delivered uh, from demonic oppression. Uh, they got beaten for it, thrown in jail. Uh, earthquake happened as they were singing because the dynamics of the spirit overwhelmed the physical environment in which they were. Uh, all the doors flew open. They thought, the jailer ran in thinking, oh man, this is it for me. Uh, but they were all there and he's like, I've never encountered anybody like you before. What must I do to have your kind of life? And his question was, what must I do to be saved? And now Paul and Silas respond, you, got, you believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved, you and all your household. And indeed, that's what happened. He was, uh, came to know Christ. His family came to know Christ and he was baptized along with that. And then we pick this story up now in verse 35. But when it was day, so previous nights when the earthquake happened and all that stuff happened, when it was day, the magistrates, the folks who sent them to jail, sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Can we just pause for a second? Not everything goes, like it's not all rosy. It's one of the things I appreciate the Bible, it, it, about the Bible, like it doesn't gloss over anything. So if the jailer had to say to them, you can come out now and let them go, where were they? in jail, like they had ministered to this jailer and then they went back into the cell. Not everything turns out rosy. But verse 37, excuse me. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly. Uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, do they now throw us out secretly? They threw us in publicly with a beating, by the way. And now they're going to throw us out secretly. And then he says, no. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and when, uh, excuse me, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens because you weren't supposed to do that. Um, so they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. They didn't command them; they asked. So uh, when they went out of the prison, they visited Lydia, uh, the, their convert, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So let's talk for just a second about Philippi and the lesson learned here. You've got this godless uh, kind of pagan city. There's not even enough um, spiritual influence for a Jewish synagogue there. Um, and it's not working out as smoothly as they thought. They got beaten, spent the night in jail, great ministry opportunity, and then they had to go back to jail. And then the people come like, okay, y'all get out of here. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're not just throwing us out. Paul, in multiple places in the New Testament, consistently surrenders his rights. Uh, well, I don't, I mean, I have a right to be paid, but I'm not going to be paid. I have a right to the, uh, this kind of freedom, but I'm not going to uh, take this right. I have a right to eat this or that or try this or do that, but I'm not going to do that. He is consistently surrendering his rights. But here in, Rome, in Acts chapter 16, he does not surrender those particular rights. Why not? That was a fascinating question to me. And I think this is the, the lesson from this little section here as the Philippi story rounds out. And I think it's important um, to, to stand up and speak out when a couple of things are true. Paul wasn't so much worried about himself as he was worried about others. When do you stand up and when do you speak out? And I think um, two things. Number one, uh, when it helps others. Paul and Silas were not going to be the only Christian influences in Philippi. In fact, they were leaving some people. So what was on Paul's mind? He did not want Lydia and the jailer and all these other people to experience the injustices that they had. Furthermore, because Philippi was where it was and is the city that it was, there would be other missionaries that came through. Paul did not want those missionaries to experience what Paul and Silas had experienced. So he stands up and he speaks out when it helps others. 
In a lot of other ways, in a lot of other times, he surrenders his rights. But in this particular moment, he asserts them. Why? Because it would help others. And furthermore, the second reason, it was going to hold others accountable. You remember what he said here um, at the end of verse 37? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Hey, they threw us into jail in the day after beating us. They're going to throw us out secretly. No, 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 no. Let them come out. And they came, verse 39, they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. There was a certain uh, sense that Paul saying, hey, look, this was an injustice. This was wrong. This was in the system, in the power structure that, that was or whatever. When it holds others accountable, sometimes it is right to stand up and to speak out. We can think about instances in our own country uh, where somebody has spoken out, stood up and spoke out. It has cost them dearly, but they still have stood up and spoke out. When it helps others or uh, when it holds others accountable. Sometimes we have to do this. But, but both of these, both of these things, when it helps others and when it holds others accountable, both of these things are really mostly not about your rights They're not about Paul's rights, but about what? The responsibility that he feels towards those who are coming after him. Don't don't miss that. Like Paul, in this moment, is asserting his rights. Why? Because he feels a responsibility for those who are going to come behind him. For those that he is leaving behind, the jailer, his family, Lydia, and others. For those that uh, will come behind him as missionaries, he doesn't want them to be mistreated. For those that they will reach, he doesn't want them to be mistreated. And furthermore, he is standing up, speaking out, because he feels responsible that there is a, a brokenness in the system. And he's like, that ain't right. We need to do something about that. Let's call it what it is. We're not going to just let this darkness continue. Let's put the light of the good news of Jesus on that and say, this is not right. It is mostly for him, I think, about responsibility. And here's where it comes down for you and for me. I bet somewhere along the way this week, you will have an opportunity to assert your rights. I just bet you will. The, The question is whether or not you should. That's number one. And secondly, if you should, does it fall under kind of this example of, hey, it's going to help others, or it's going to hold some structure, some system accountable that is prone to brokenness and hurting others? Like, is there a way that I can step in and feel responsible for this? Sometimes it's not always the best thing to assert your rights, but when we can take responsibility and use these appropriately to help others and to hold others accountable... We have an example here of Paul doing this, and it may very well be the best thing. That's the end of the Philippi story. They move on in chapter 17. And now when they had passed through Amphipolis, this is verse 1 of chapter 17. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. If you're tracking along here, Paul wrote two letters to this church in Thessalonica, First and Second Thessalonians, okay? That's, a, that's the location um, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So this, this had some more uh, religious influence than, than Philippi did. Verse 2. And Paul went in. I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about this verse. Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So 
Paul goes into Thessalonica, he says, as was his custom, meaning what? There was always this impulse in him to find the place to do ministry. So he was, he was looking for that place. In Philippi, it was outside of the city walls. Here in Thessalonica, though, he rolls up right to the synagogue. He's looking for that place. There's a, 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 a place, a, a, an impulse in him that finds the place for ministry. Can we ask that question? Do you have in you an impulse to find the place for ministry in your work, in your house, uh, in your neighborhood, in your relationships, in your friend group, in your soccer team, baseball team, pick whatever um, sphere you want. To, but is there an impulse in you that moves you toward ministry in that particular place? As was his custom. Let's start there. And then notice, notice his approach. He does four things I think are worth commenting on. First of all, you start where they are. Where were they in this particular case? They were at the synagogue. They're, start where they are, both geographically as well as uh, kind of their worldview. He started where they were. Paul was excellent at this. And, and he doesn't uh, expect, this is part of that impulse in him. He doesn't expect those people over there to come over to where he is so that he can explain it to them. Sometimes I think we approach ministry that way. Man, if they were just a little bit closer where they could hear me yelling at them, I think they'd probably... That wasn't Paul. Paul was going to go where they were geographically and he was going to approach them uh, from the worldview of, of what he had. We, we're going to see this next week in, in um, Acts 17 when we look at Athens. He's in this pagan city and he starts with their poets and their uh, religious practices. He's not talking to a bunch of Jews. He's talking to people who don't know God at all. And so he starts there. Start where they are. Do you have somebody in your life that the impulses in you but you're almost like, hey, come a little closer over here. Paul went to them. That's a good example to follow. That's one thing he did. Secondly, he reasoned, it says, from the scriptures. He reasoned from the scriptures. Don't miss that in verse um, uh, verse 2. Uh, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving it was necessary uh, for, that Christ, for the Christ to suffer, rise from the dead. He reasoned from the scriptures. If you can read it in the Bible, then you should say it out loud. Like if, 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 you, if, if what you said cannot be read in the scriptures, then, then I think that's a problem. Furthermore, the Bible gives us not only what to talk about, but how to talk about it. And in what tone do we talk about these kinds of things? How do we approach uh, these, these things? And you see, even Paul, he speaks one way at one time, he speaks another way at a different time. Jesus, he, he's very compassionate towards those who are broken, and he is straightforward with those who are prideful. Over and over again, he, he, we have a sense of not only what to say, but how to go about saying it. Um, and, and when we say reason from the scriptures, what we're not talking about is an argument. In fact, have you ever noticed anybody get argued into the kingdom? Like you get up on Facebook or, or some other platform or email exchange or whatever, and you're like, well, here's the four reasons. Blah, 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 and, you're, and people respond like, oh my gosh, I've never thought of that before. Yes, I'm surrendering to Jesus and going that way. Nobody does that. Why? Because the logical step that they have to take is only part of the step. There are spiritual dynamics at work. Yes, we need to be reasonable. Yes, we need to be logical in that way. But listen, there are spiritual dynamics at work. So we reason from the scriptures. And furthermore, again, we'll see this next week, even more, we can take what is seen in the world and direct those back to what the scripture said. I'll give you an example. Ran across an article this week by a guy, uh, a guy from Cal Berkeley. Um, he, he wrote a book and he, this is a little summation article called The Power Paradox. Anybody? Power Paradox? Yeah, good. Great. 
You'll just believe me on this then. Uh, so in the article, here's what he says. He says, uh, uh, people want power, uh, but, but the problem is, is that power corrupts, right? This is Lord Alton, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. You know how that goes. Okay. People want power and they want to use it. And we learned all of this stuff from really bad influences, bad places. He said, those people who genuinely have power don't really have power though. They have influence. And how did they gain that influence? By being um, a person of good character, by being a person who respects others, by being a person of, of generosity and mercy towards those in need and this kind of thing. And that collect, you can think about people in your lives who kind of collect influence through those acts. Well, the part to me that was fascinating is those people who collect influence then actually obtain power in organizations and, and other things. They take leadership roles in movements or, or organizations or whatever. And then if they don't continue those things, if they don't continue to respect others, if they don't continue to uh, um, uh, be generous with others, if they don't continue to share and distribute, if you will, decision-making and power, you know what happens when they get power? That power corrupts them. And the very thing that brought them to the place is the very thing that is going to take them down. That's the power paradox. And I thought to myself, gosh, I've read something just like that before. Let me think. Oh, I know what it was. If you want to be the greatest, then you really need to be the least. If you want to be first, then really you need to concentrate on being last. If you want to be amazing, then you need to be the servant of all. Has anybody heard this before? Some guy named Jesus said something very much like that. If we, if we are, are influence magnets because we're living the life that Jesus says, and then we don't continue to live that way, it will corrupt us. But if we continue to live that way, then we are useful to God. I'll give you another example. A couple of years ago, my wife um, read a few books, and I picked up a couple of them. They were fantastic by Brene Brown. UH gal, anybody Brene Brown? Um, so uh, in her books, I would read them and I would go, holy cow, this looks like the second part of most of Paul's letters. Like she's talking about empathy and courage and all these kinds of things. And I'm like, I mean, you can put Bible, like if it were a Christian, but like you'd have a parenthesis, see Galatians 6 two. And you know, like, I mean, you would have, it blew my mind that all of this sociological research pointed back to the way that the Bible said we ought to live. Crazy. I say that to say, you can reason, you don't have to start with the scriptures. Would you open your Bible, please? No, you can start with what's going on in the world. We'll see an example of that next week. Start with what's going on in the world, but then you point back and go, this is what Jesus has said. This is how he has said is best to live, Uh, which leads me to the third thing. Uh, He said, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Third thing, Jesus before issues. Jesus before issues. Um, Their particular issue was who the Messiah was and what kind of king he was going to be. Paul said, you missed that completely. Um, uh, You you thought he was going to be a political king and that kind of Messiah and deliverer, and he would crush the the Roman enemy. And Paul's like, he's a different kind of deliverer, and the enemy that he's crushing is far more powerful than the Roman Empire. Our particular issues aren't necessarily that. I mean, it may be how Jesus fits into politics these days, but our particular issues also express themselves in any number of social things. Sexuality, uh, how we relate to money, how we relate to vocation, anything like you just pick an issue, right? And, and where inevitably, when you're in a conversation with somebody, oh yeah, well, what does the Bible say about, and you just, you know, well, I can't believe that you would believe something, blah, 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 blah. And, 
the reason why I think it's critical to follow Paul here in his example of Jesus before issues goes like this. Um, If Jesus is just an ethical teacher, then we can put him on the shelf with all the other ethical teachers in the world. But if Jesus did what he said, if he died on the cross and rose from the dead like he said he would, then he deserves a hearing on all the rest. See, it's, it's the death and the resurrection of Jesus that allow us to build out a framework for some of this other stuff to make sense. If I come at it from the issues first and not Jesus first, then the issues get bogged down in, in the whatabouts and what ifs and I can't believe and blah, 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 and not my friend and my... What? If we do Jesus first, then he can build out a framework by which to do that. Now, that doesn't make for, you know good social media interaction. I'm just telling you, that's the way Paul did it. I think it's a good way to follow. Lastly, um, back back at verse two, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, that's three weeks, be patient. Be patient. The spiritual things that are at work in the lives of those around us are not microwaves. Like most of the time we want to put in the cup, drop it in the thing, punch the button, 30 seconds later it's done. Folks, we're, we're, we're growing trees here. We're not microwaving instant something or other. Spiritual work is slow sometimes. You plant a tree, you walk outside the next day and you think to yourself, that's the same size as it was yesterday. And you walk out a week later and you're like, Yeah, pretty much the same size. I think that's a new leaf right there. It takes a while. It takes time. A year later, you may be able to measure. Uh, Ten years later, you'll be able to measure. You have to be patient. You have to be patient. In his particular case, three weeks. Every Saturday for three weeks. And then all the conversations that happened between. What was the result? We'll just walk through the rest of this. Uh, Verse 4. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Some of the Jews did, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So you have this diversity of of people who responded to the good news of Jesus. That's always going to be the truth. You preach the gospel. Diversity is one piece of fruit that will grow on the gospel tree. Verse 5, but for the Jews, uh, excuse me, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. So this is a problem here. Anytime we have to align ourselves with wicked men in order to accomplish our purposes, like that's a bad plan, right? Everybody with me on that? They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. When they could not find them, Paul and Silas were elsewhere. Uh, They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. They're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, um, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And just so you and I are all clear, we're not saying that there's another king. We're saying that Jesus is the king. That's what we're saying. That's the message. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. When they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So you've got this beautiful diversity that happens in response, and you've got all of this opposition. That is going to be a consistent theme. We preach the gospel, we announce the good news, and then we get pushback. Verse 10. Last place. We've done Philippi. We've done Thessalonica. Now verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So here they are doing it again. 
Verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Just pause here for just a second. I want to think about verse 11. This is kind of the lesson I think we take from Berea. Berea, it talks about they were more noble or they were more open-minded is one of the translations you may have. Um, they, they wanted to hear from God. That's, that's the big thing. They wanted to hear from God. Two things under this. Number one, it says in verse 11, these Jews are more noble. And how did that nobility express itself? They received the word of God with all eagerness. They were eager to hear what was being said, and don't miss this, from the scripture. They were eager to hear of what was being said from the scripture. That's what it talks about right there. They wanted to receive uh, the word. What word? This, this word that they had said from the scripture. They wanted to receive it with all eagerness. We, we are a people. And this would be a great prayer for us as a church family. That we would be a people who receive the word with all eagerness. So when we are in here or when we're in a Sunday school class or in a small group where you open the Bible, it's open before you, we would receive it with all eagerness. We kind of lean into it a little bit. Hey, listen, I, I know that, man, I'm kind of messed up today. My mind's everywhere. But I'm gonna, this is that moment where I'm going to lean in. Oh, man, he's up there teaching that Sunday school lesson. I want to try to lean in. We're having this discussion. I want to lean into this. Why is that? Because we are a people of the book. We are people of the book. We believe that God has spoken and we want him to speak to us again. Uh, this is in study this week, came across these two images so powerful to me. Uh, there's, there's, two, there's a place called Dura Europus. It's in modern day um, Syria. And uh, in it, they have found uh, this pagan temple, and they have found a Jewish synagogue. And as they did the excavation, both of them had um, painting frescoes on the wall. Okay? And so here are the two. Um, on the left side is the one in the Jewish synagogue, and on the right side is the one in the pagan temple. You may not be able to see it as clearly as, as, uh, as I hope, but on the left side is the Jewish, and on the right side is the pagan temple. What do you notice? You got two guys, right? And they're there in some official capacity, right? They're both robed up. And, and what do you see the difference between the two? On the left, you have the guy with the open scroll. And on the right, maybe you can see it, maybe you can't. He's holding kind of a cane in one hand, it looks like. Uh, and then on, in his left hand there, he has a closed scroll. And, and that's the practices that we see in kind of uh, uh, Judaism of that time uh, that we as Christians have inherited and pagans. You had, they call him the magician on the right side there. The magician stand up and he would just tell you what he thought that day. And then on the left side, you've got this Jewish guy who stands up and he reads the scroll. And we've seen this all throughout the Old Testament. Um, in in uh, Deuteronomy, uh, in, in the book of, Hez excuse me, in uh, the king Hezekiah, he did this. Um, when Ezra and Nehemiah did this, Jeremiah did this. I mean, on and on throughout the Old Testament, we have people who stand up and they open it and they read the scroll. Jesus himself did this. Luke chapter 4, when he got to the synagogue, he opened the scroll. There was Isaiah 61. He said, hey, this is what is being fulfilled right here in your presence. We are people of the book, but we're not people of the book that's closed and we just listen to what somebody says about it. We are people of the book and that book is open. And so you and I have this opportunity to be like the Bereans here, receive the word with eagerness. What does that take? It takes an openness, not only of our hearts, but to have the actual word open in front of us, whether you're using an app or an old, you know, Bible, good old fashioned paper Bible, like it needs to be open in front of us. 
in our lives, in our church, um, in, in the, the lives of, of those that we're trying to influence, we have the Bible and it's open. We like the people of Berea. And then secondly, it says, uh, they received the word with all eagerness. They leaned into it. They're people of the open book, examining the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. So they examined the scriptures daily to see if what was said was indeed true. They examined the scriptures daily to see what was indeed true. Like, and that's, you don't ever want to take for granted what somebody up here with a microphone says. You want to have the book open so that you can see, hey, is that in there? Yes, that's in there. No, I'm not so sure about that. You want to have the book open so that what you see is in there. And the result, what happened? Again, you have a faith happen in opposition. Verse 12, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So there's that diversity again. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too. Same guys, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens and so forth. So um, what happened as a result? Well, people came to faith and they experienced opposition. That's the norm. That's the norm for us. And so here's where I want to leave it for you and for me. Three different places. Philippi. Can you use your rights not so much as rights, but as being responsible for the people who will follow behind you. Thessalonica, can, can you approach, uh, have this impulse that sends you out to where the people are and then respond accordingly along the way? Reason from the scriptures, put Jesus before issues and be patient. Berea, can you, can you search for yourselves, the scriptures? And see if what's being said is actually true. Three different places, three different lessons. But my guess is, somewhere this week, you're going to have an opportunity to live one of those out. Maybe all of them. Maybe all of them, where you'll get an opportunity to say, hey, listen, I you know, kind of felt this impulse to go here. Or, Man, I, I want to assert something here that will help somebody else or bring something to the light that needs to be brought to light. Or I need to get into the Bible and study a little bit because I'm not so sure what he meant by that. Whatever it is, I think that this week you're going to have an opportunity to live one of those out. And you're going to be better for it. People around you may come to faith as a result. And my guess is you're probably going to get some pushback for it. That's okay. It's not abnormal. We can still continue to live in light of that. And that, that's, that's where I want to stop and have us pray. That no matter what you encounter this week, you would assert your responsibility for others. You would have an impulse that moves you toward somebody with the good news. And you would search the scriptures for yourself. Let's pray. And we'll ask for God's help to live this out this week.